Hey everybody, it's Pastor Chad. Today is Sunday, September 5th, 2021. Welcome to The Way R122 Ministry Live, The Way Radio Live. Glad everybody's here and everybody that will be watching. Today's message is entitled, I Have Set the Lord Always Before Me. Uh, It's based on Psalm 16. And I think... Over the last six or seven years, this is probably the, uh, I don't know, fourth or fifth time, maybe third or fourth time that I've preached on this psalm. And uh, it's I think it's one of my all-time favorite psalms. And the reason I decided to preach on it today is because every morning uh, when I'm reading my Bible and praying, one of the things I do is I read a psalm. And yesterday was Psalm 16, so it seemed like a fitting uh, scripture for today's sermon. And again, in light of the times in which we live, I think it's a very fitting sermon for the times in which we live because it gives us a lot of inspiration and a lot of hope and a lot of focus. So I have set the Lord always before me based on Psalm 16. And before I get into it, there's one thing I wanted to share with you guys. I came across a quote this week uh, from C.S. Lewis that he wrote in 1948. And it really, uh, I think it's very inspirational, again, for these times in which we live and to give us a proper mindset um, of how we are to live in the midst of so much insanity and confusion that we're faced with right now in the world. Uh, So this is from C.S. Lewis. It's written in 1948, and it's very applicable to what we're going through today. Uh, He writes, how are we to live in an atomic age? I'm tempted to reply, why, as you have lived in the 16th century when the plague visited London almost every year, or as you would have lived in a Viking age when raiders from Scandinavia might land and cut your throat any night, or indeed, as you are already living in an age of cancer, an age of chronic pain, an age of paralysis, an age of air raids, an age of railway accidents, an age of motor accidents. In other words, do not let us begin by exaggerating the novelty of our situation. Believe me, dear sir or madam, you and all whom you love were already sentenced to death before the atomic bomb was invented, and quite a high percentage of us were going to die in unpleasant ways. It is perfectly ridiculous to go about whimpering and drawing long faces because the scientists have added one more chance of painful and premature death to a world which already bristled with such chances and in which death itself was not a chance at all, but a certainty. The first action to be taken is to pull ourselves together. If we are all going to be destroyed by an atomic bomb, let that bomb, when it comes, find us doing sensible and human and human things, praying, working, teaching, reading, listening to music, bathing the children, playing tennis, chatting to our friends over a pint and a game of darts, not huddled together like frightened sheep and thinking about death. They may break our bodies. A microbe can do that, but they need not dominate our minds. And I just loved that because obviously Lewis wrote this during that time when the world was wrestling with the reality of the atomic age, uh, with the uh, threat of atomic uh, 
war and atomic annihilation because of those wars. And it just struck me as very pertinent for the times in which we live because it's very easy because we are so inundated constantly. I mean, you really can't watch the mainstream news, but if you do happen to turn it on or even flipping through the channels, it's just lie after lie, fear after fear, threat after threat, um, you know, danger after danger, just being presented to us constantly from so many different directions. And now with having these, you know, so-called smartphones in our pockets, it's so easy to just become overly saturated with all the horrific uh, input that the world puts out. And if you let yourself be drawn into it, you can become totally weighed down and oppressed and stressed out by it. So we can't. And I love I love Lewis's message. He's saying, you know, if, if these things are going to happen, uh, let's just go on with our lives. Let's pray and work and care for each other and live our lives the best that we can. Because why let them dominate our minds? Why let them destroy the peace that we should be having? And especially those of us that are in Christ. So I just wanted to share that today. I thought it was a beautiful uh, message or a beautiful quote to start the message out with today. So let's pray and we'll get into Psalm 16. I have set the Lord always before me. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this opportunity to gather and to uh, listen to your word, to delve into your word, to learn of you. And today as we uh, hear your word from Psalm 16. Lord, I ask that you would just uh, bless each person that hears this message with peace and calm, uh, that they would be able to turn off the world and to just meditate on your word, uh, to think over it, to contemplate it, and to draw closer to you through it. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, at the end of that quote from C.S. Lewis, he says, but they do not, they need not dominate our minds. And I love that because if you are meditating on the word, you're striving to be conformed to the image of Christ. You're striving to know who he is. You're meditating on his word. You're praying. You're spending time in prayerful thought and seeking to know the Lord more fully and to walk closer to him, this world will not dominate your mind. And I don't think anybody could argue the fact that over the last couple of years since this COVID hoax started, there has been just a, a relentless effort to dominate people's minds through those that are working through evil and nefarious means. And uh, it's just not the way we should live. And I think Psalm 16 is one of those portions of scripture that really enables us to push back against that and to not be drawn into that mindset. Uh, the Psalms are just a blessing. They're beautiful. And, um, and I love them. I love starting each day with a Psalm before I start reading another portion of scripture. And it's always amazed me um, how many in the Christian church, especially the modern Christian church, discount the Psalms and actually don't take them seriously. I remember a few years ago, someone had asked me to engage in a debate with a pastor who was involved in uh, some very severe false teachings. 
And as I was trying to converse with this person, this man, and uh, we were debating and I was using scripture, uh, I was using some of the Psalms uh, to, to help make my point. And his response was, the Psalms are just poems. You know, you can't really take them seriously. And I thought, I can't believe a pastor would tell me that. But I've run across that often on over the years. And I've, I've heard people say, you know, our pastor is in between topics right now or in between books of the Bible. So he's just, you know, he's just been preaching on the Psalms for a couple of weeks. No, that is a very special, those are very special messages. So never discount the Psalms. They are very valuable and very powerful. And they are a beautiful proclamation of faith, the gospel message, strength, and they edify us. So never discount the Psalms. So to start, let's read Psalm 16. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Psalm 16, and I'll read it, and then we'll just go through a section by section. Today's message is going to be maybe a little shorter, a little lighter than I've hit the last couple of weeks, but um, I think this is an important one. And like I said, I, I came across it in my reading day before yesterday, or yesterday, and I just wanted to go ahead and preach on it again today. Psalm 16 says, preserve, it's a Psalm of David. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you, you will not abandon my, my soul to shoal or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Amen. So let's look at this section by section. If we look at Psalm 16, starting in verses 1 and 2, I'll pull it up on the screen here. It says, A miktam of David, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. So what we see here is that we are blessed with the understanding that we are preserved in Christ and we're set apart from the decay and destruction of this fallen world in its sinful condition. Those who are in Christ are in the world, but we are not of the world. The world cannot harm us because we take refuge in the Lord. Now, I would say that refuge in the Lord is one of those key things for us to remember during these times in which we live. Again, as the world is trying to dominate people through this constant uh, process of trying to instill fear and through fear, submission, that we need to understand that that cannot affect us if we are taking refuge in the Lord. We are protected against the efforts of the world to bring us into submission to evil. Another thing I want you to notice in verse 2, he says, I say to the Lord, all capitals, you are my Lord with only a capital L. 
I have no good apart from you. This is really an interesting verse because the all capital Lord is Yahweh, which you could say is the I am, the Father. It's the ultimate, most powerful name of God, Yahweh. And then it has Lord with only a capital L. And that could be defined as Adonai or a master or king whom we serve. So he is our Lord, Yahweh, the great I am. We see him and we and we have a relationship with him that way. But we also have a relationship and serve him as our master and our king, our Adonai. John 8, 58, Jesus said, uh, whoops, missed one here. Here we go. Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. So I, th I think what we could say we see here in verse 2, I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. Lord, all caps, Father, you are my Lord, small, uh, large, uh, capital L, small, O R lowercase O-R-D, the Son. And we have a relationship through them, to them through the power of the Holy Spirit. So you can see a bit of a teaching of the Trinity here as well. But the message that I want to get across is, is that we take refuge in the Lord. Christ is our all, and there is no need or want for those who abide in him. James 1.17 says, Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. Everything good in our lives comes from the Lord. We bring nothing to the Lord except our sin and all the good that we have that we are blessed with and that we might possess or, or are is only from and through the Lord. All good things come from him. Let's look at verse three. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Now, what's David talking about here? As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. He's talking about believers. He's talking about children of God. He's talking about those who are part of the body of Christ. If you look out across the land, David is delighting in those, and he's calling the saints in the land the excellent ones. So he loves the church. Again, we see that separation between the world and the church. We are in the world, but we are not of it. Those in Christ love the saints and the church as it is the body of Christ. Now understand, if you're not familiar with that term saints, as it truly is what in what it truly means biblically, every Christian child of God, everyone who is truly in Christ, who is a true believer, is a saint. The Roman Catholic Church, like so many other biblical teachings, has taken that and corrupted it and trying to make the case that the Catholic Church decides who are saints and who aren't. All Christian believers are saints. The communion of the saints is separated from the pollution of the world as a holy and sanctified body. We should delight in the body of Christ. This love extends and shines out into the darkness to reach the lost and bring them into the body of Christ. This is an extremely important thing for us to remember. Evangelism starts within the church in the edification and encouragement of the saints. And again, the modern church has become so focused on trying to conform to the world under the guise of 
We're going to change the gospel message just enough. We're going to present the gospel message in a way that is watered down just enough to be palatable to a worldly appetite, to be attractive to worldly eyes so that we can draw the world in, so that we can please them with what we're saying. And that's how we'll grow the church. Nowhere in scripture is that taught. Nowhere. We are to delight in the body of Christ. We are to understand that evangelism starts within the church. And if we are edifying and encouraging the saints, then the message of the gospel will automatically move out from the church into the world because the saints will carry that message. But it will not be adulterated. It will not be compromised. And it will not be watered down. The other point to remember is that if that's how the church is functioning, there will be something so bright and glorious and attractive about the saints, the true body of Christ, that many in the world will be drawn to that just because of who we are in Christ. So the church doesn't have to worry about attracting the world. If we're doing what the Bible tells us to do, living as we are told to live, striving to be conformed to the image of Christ, the, the evangelistic message of the gospel will automatically bear fruit. Look at verse 4. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The futility of the world and those who are lost in it is evident to those who abide in Christ. Nowadays, being a Christian, one of the things that you're constantly confronted with is the prevalence of just error everywhere in this world. False teachings everywhere in the world and in 90% of the church. The worship of false gods. When he says their drop, their off, their their drink offerings of blood, I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. He's talking about ancient paganistic practices. Paganism is very much alive and well in the modern age. It's why the majority of the world has gone along with this COVID thing. You see, but we will not even utter the names of those false gods. We will in no way participate in the worship of them. Those who worship other gods will dwell in sorrow and misery. We are set apart. We stand in the light of Christ's glorious truth and reject every false way. The fellowship of true believers is to have nothing to do with worldly heresies and superstitions. Psalm 4, 2 through 3 says, O men, how long shall my honor be turned into shame? How long will you love vain words and seek after lies? He's asking the question to the world, why do you continue in these ways that fail and lead to darkness? And do nothing fruitful when there is only one truth. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Believers are satisfied in Christ, abiding in him and his word. We will not even take the names of false gods on our lips. 16, 5, and 6, the Lord is my chosen portion in my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. This is a contrast against the sorrows of idolaters from the previous verses. You hold my lot. Lot comes from the Hebrew word geral, which you could uh, define figuratively as a portion or destiny, as if determined by lot. 
So we met, we remember that lots used to be cast in order. It was like gambling to see who could, who would win something. That's what they did to, to, to they cast lots for Jesus's clothes as he suffered and died on the cross. Lines were used for measuring and dividing land, and hence the word came to denote a portion or inheritance measured out or a possession. So he's saying, uh, you hold my lot, the Lord is our lot and our portion, and then the lines of our inheritance have fallen in pleasant places. Our inheritance is beautiful. We look forward to something beyond imagining when it comes to its beauty and glory. We rest in the only true and holy God, and we reject all that is false and worldly. Our present position and eternal inheritance are in Christ and with him. And like I've taught before, we are blessed with a hope that we cling to now and a hope that we look for in the future. Our salvation is already and not yet. We are blessed with so much now in the flesh, but when we go from the flesh into the eternal realm with the Lord, we are blessed with more than we can imagine. Hebrews eleven sixteen says, But as it is, they desire a better country, that is a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. We look forward to something that the world cannot even fathom, that our human minds lack the ability, the, the ability to grasp and comprehend. The beauty and the majesty and the glory of our eternity in Christ will absolutely blow our minds because we can't even comprehend it right now. Just imagine that. Now David starts talking about the importance of God's word. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. David seems to be a man that just saturated himself with God's word. He so much was in love with God's word that he wanted his mind filled with it to the point that while he was sleeping, he was being instructed by the word that he had absorbed throughout the day, that he had taken in and fed on throughout the day. He knew what the working and illumination of the Holy Spirit was, the implanted word enlightening and instructing in the wisdom of salvation and the ways of God, the heart at rest in the Lord and a mind and spirit at peace in the word of God. He said, in the night also my heart instructs me. Folks, learn scripture. Gather it up in your heart and mind. And even in the night you will be instructed and grow in the Lord. These truths are such a blessing during times such as these in which we're living right now. Savor God's word. Memorize it. Fill yourself with it. And it will be power against the darkness that's trying to dominate your mind. It will not be able to do so. In 16.8, now we see a proper perspective. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. I have set the Lord always before me. He's talking about total devotion and adoration. You could say that he, he's talking about like what we read in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want because he is so in love with Christ. He sees the surpassing beauty and worth of Christ and perfection and glory that he could never want anything else. This is a spirit of boldness and security. I shall not be shaken. Second Timothy 1 7 says, for God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love 
and self-control. Folks, one of the reasons that the world hates us is because fear cannot be used against us. And again, in this current time that we're going through, and these manufactured crises that we are seeing carried out on such a large scale around the world, what is the tool that they are wielding masterfully? Fear. Fear. Fear is what they absolutely know they can use to control people. When I see what's going on in Australia, it's absolutely horrifying. It's, it's just mind-blowing what they are doing to instill fear in people to the point where they will not leave their homes. They will only do what they are told and they, they will submit. Not everyone is. There are many down there that are making a stand against it. And I praise the Lord for that. Fear will not have a place in our minds or our hearts if we abide in Christ, because God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Now David gives us a contrast of the world that's living in fear and chaos. And he says in verse nine, therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. Why? Because we have gladness, we're rejoicing, and we have eternal security. Philippians 4, 4 through 8 is one of my favorite portions of scripture. I actually memorized this without intending to when I was going through it just a time of great stress and trial, I had my Bible open on my desk and I was reading this verse constantly, these, these, this section of scripture constantly throughout the day. And without even intending to, I memorized it because it was helping me so much. Philippians 4, 4 through 8, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. He is not a concept. He is not far away. He is not inactive. He is at hand and he is active and working in the lives of each one of us. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Those are all meditations on the Lord. My flesh also dwells secure. We are no longer slaves to sinful flesh, but seek the Lord and his righteousness. Our earthly existence is blessed and sustained by God's loving grace. We have true security now and into eternity in Jesus Christ. Verse 10. Now we have a message of the gospel here. This is why Psalm 16 is so amazing. It hits so many points. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. We have eternal security because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ that is prophesied here. We will never be abandoned to Sheol to the place of the dead, because Christ never saw corruption. But where it says, "Or uh, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption, we can now say, at this time in history, because your Holy One did not see corruption, my soul will not be abandoned to Sheol. David was trusting in the fact that the Messiah would not see corruption. We have faith in the fact that the, that the Messiah did not see corruption because we're on the other side of the crucifixion and the resurrection. What an awesome 
truth that is. So I'll ask you at this point, because the only way that you are not going to have your soul abandoned to Shoal is to trust in the truth that the Holy One, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, did not see corruption. He suffered and died for the sins of his chosen elect. And all we have to do to be saved by that is to place our faith and trust in the truth that he did suffer and die for us, that he was in the grave for three days, and that he rose for our salvation. And that if we place our faith and trust in him, we will never have to deal with the with the reality of Shoal. Our souls are secure and we rest in Christ. So have you placed your trust in this truth of Jesus Christ? Romans 4.24 says, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Death had no power over him and in him it has no power over us. That's why we don't fear. If we don't fear death, why would we fear anything else? You see? Psalm 16.11, you make known to me the path of life. Now David's sort of summing everything up into the blessing that he walks with daily. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That's the blessing that he closes this beautiful psalm with. You make known to me the path of life. I know which way I'm going. You've set the path before me, and all I have to do is follow you on it, and you will guide me. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. There is nothing I could want beyond the Lord. And at his right hand are pleasures forevermore, like I said, that are beyond our understanding at this point. You make known to me the path of life. No more searching and seeking. No more philosophical failures. Instead, a clear path of joy leading to eternal glory. God initiates. He regenerates. He transforms. He gives us new birth from spiritual death and gives us knowledge and wisdom and light unto life and eternal salvation. John 1, 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Again, in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want anything beyond that. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just pray that these words will comfort and edify and be a blessing to everyone that hears them. As we go through the coming week, I pray that you would open opportunities for us to share the gospel, uh, that you would uh, bless us with a wisdom that is only found in you, and that we would shine brightly in this world, and that others would be attracted to the message of the gospel through us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, you guys, thank you for being here today, for listening to the message. If you get a chance, please consider visiting elephantwalk.net, our sponsor website. If you type in the way, all lowercase, at checkout, you receive 10% off. You can find us on the web at the way, the letter R122.org. All my sermons are published the following week uh, as a podcast. 
And I just got the stats today. The podcast is now well over 12,000 downloads. So just in a couple of weeks, we've gone from 11,000 to 12,000. So it continues to grow, which just is an amazing blessing that we're able to reach so many with these messages uh, through the podcast. And you can find the podcast by going to Christian Podcast Community. Dot .org and just typing the way radio in the search field. Uh, YouTube blocked me today from publishing. I don't know if the stations, if the um, channel is still up or not, but it wouldn't let me publish directly to it. So we'll see what's up with that. Best thing to do to find us if you want to watch the videos is to go to Rumble and just search for the way R122. Uh, please consider donating to support the ministry so we continue to expand and reach more with the message of the gospel, that we can expand our work in Kenya. Um, I'm really hoping that I can get back there uh, early next year. I, I would like to be there now. I usually try to go in September and then again in March, but with the way things are right now, I'm just not sure it's a good time for me to go. I want things to, to settle down hopefully a little bit. So I'm hoping may, maybe February or March. Um, if the Lord opens the door sooner, then I'll go sooner. But please continue donating to the ministry at the way r122.org. If you need to reach me, you can email me at chad at the way, the letter r122.org. And we will be back here next week, same time, same place. God bless you guys. Thank you.